I want to start this morning with the scripture. <clears throat> the uh, a couple things before I really get into it is we're, we're still looking and talking about the, the presence of God, realizing that we were created for his presence. Um, and we're going to look at it from a little bit of a different angle. And I, quite honestly, it's a, a, from a perspective that I don't really meditate on a lot and think about a lot that I need to. Um, one of the things that got me thinking on this this week was I was reading one of David Wilkerson's old sermons. Uh, many of you know who David Wilkerson was. He's passed away. He's went home to be with the Lord. Um, his history goes back a long ways to a, a book called, a movie called Crossing the Switchblade. And then he was pastor, senior pastor of Times Square Church for a number of years. Um, he tried to tell us that he wasn't a prophetic voice, but he was a very prophetic voice to our nation. And I was reading a couple of his different sermons and something he said in, in, in one in particular struck me and uh, so a, a number of the things I'm going to be sharing in my message this morning are going to be uh, my way of saying some of the same things he said in his message to me. Lord, I pray that as we look into your word, you give me the grace to articulate what you want me to share in such a way that it, it really blesses and encourages each one of us. Father, and that if there's anything that I say that uh, is not of you, that it would just fall to the ground uh, harmless. Father, in Jesus' name, amen. I want to start by reading a scripture. The title of my message is just the delight of God. Now notice, not the delight in God, but the delight of God, His delight. And that's going to be the focus of my message this morning. The delight of God, the delight of our Heavenly Father. And I think when we really grab a hold of this truth, that there is a delight that he has in us, in his children, it will change the way that we think. It will begin to renew our minds in such a way that we can enter into his presence and it will silence a lot of those whispers and voices of the enemy that cause us to go back and feel inadequate, not good enough, guilt, shame, condemnation, all that garbage that continually the enemy is trying to throw at us to make us feel like we don't deserve to be in the presence of the Almighty God, our Heavenly Father. And it makes it a challenge, and sometimes I think it's even a, a, an unconscious thing that's taking place because we're so used to thinking that way. The worldly way, that old nature, that old flesh that, that is in us saying, you know, I'm just not good enough. I'm just not worthy enough. And I want us to really grab a hold of the truth that God delights in you, and He delights in me. He delights in being in our presence as much, probably more, than we delight being as His because He understands it so much better than us. Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 22. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, or many translations say, since we have a boldness to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, through the veil, that is, his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from guilty conscience, a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Now, I'm not going to pick that scripture apart, but there's a whole lot packed into those few verses. And if you're not familiar with some of the things in the Old Testament or the tabernacle or the worship, in the most holy place, in their temple, there was a place called the Holy of Holies, or the most holy place. And in the second temple, it was separated from the sanctuary part of the temple, 
where the priests could go into, but that Holy of Holies, only one person, one priest could go in there at a certain time of year. And no one else could enter the Holy of Holies where the presence of God was, the Ark, this Ark of the Covenant, the Ark was there. And no one could go there. So this is the picture that, that the writer of Hebrews is laying out for us, that we now have a confidence, a boldness, that we can go through and into the holy, holiest of holies, into the presence of God, if you would. Through that veil, through that curtain. And we'll talk about that in just a little while. And the reason we can do that is because we have a priest. You know, the priests were continually sacrificing at the altar in the Old Testament, continually killing animals and sacrificing over and over and over, over and over and over for hundreds of years. But it's saying we can go in now, all of us as children of God, have access to the Holy of Holies because the great high priest, Jesus, by his shed blood, the perfect sacrifice, once for all time, he made that sacrifice, he died, he shed his blood. Therefore, that veil, that, that curtain is torn. It's broken wide open. And we could go in with a confidence because of Christ. It's all by grace, all by grace. Because of who he is and what he's done, we can go in there. And you know what? It's kind of a two-way path. You know, that curtain just didn't keep people from experiencing the presence of God. It also kept God from coming out and really coming and living with his people. We don't think of that very often. And that's what's torn and opened up. So my question is, have you ever really considered the reality that there are two sides to Jesus' work at Calvary? On one side of the cross, if you would, this picture, on the one side of the cross is all the benefits to us, to us as human beings. These are the, these are the things we usually think about. These are the things we usually talk about when we look at the cross. When we look at that, the forgiveness of sin. Yeah, amen. What a benefit. The forgiveness of sin, the victory over the power of sin, access to the grace to the mercies of God, to the promise that we have of eternal life. All of these things are benefits of the cross to you and me. Our side of the cross is the, is, was the, the way, the victory, that allowed us or allows us to escape the horror of sin and the hell. Our side of the cross. We talk about those benefits a lot. And man, we ought to. They're great benefits. All by grace. Again, a gift. But we don't often think of, or at least I don't, maybe you do, but I don't often think of, why did God do that? I mean, when I think of that, you know how I answer the question? So I could get saved. So I could go to heaven. So I could be forgiven. So I could be brought into right relationship. Okay, that starts to change it a little bit, my thinking. Right relationship. Why did he do it? He did it at least in great part, because he wants fellowship with you and me. The benefit to the Father was it allowed him to have the fellowship with us that he created us for. He gained great benefit, great delight in tearing that veil so that he could have intimacy with us for his benefit, for his pleasure. For his delight. If we only focus on the forgiveness on our side of the cross, we're missing and stopping short of the fullness that God really wants us to embrace. That God wants to be in your presence. 
that God loves you as a child of God more than you can ever imagine. That Jesus died on that cross so the veil would be torn that God the Father could come to us. The Holy Spirit living in us. Fellowship with us. He delights in it. He delights in having our presence as much as we or more than we delight in having His. And the reason this is so important to me is when I begin to understand, it's, it's like a renewing of the mind. My old way of thinking, you know, I know what a jerk I could be. I know all the garbage that was in my life. I know all the sins and horrible things that I committed. They haven't all been forgotten, but they've been covered by the blood of Jesus. But the enemy loves to try to twist it and bring them up every now and again. Who do you think you are? Remember, I remember you. Remember what you said. Remember what you did. Remember the lifestyle you led. Remember, 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 remember. And when those things start coming in my head, it's like, how can I, how can I enter into the freedom that Christ died for? My joy, the peace, all, that st- all those things that are my benefits are being stolen by that lie of the enemy. But when my mind is renewed and I grab a hold of the truth that I am a child of God and that stuff has been covered by the blood of Jesus and he's never, ever going to bring it up against me ever again. When those things are coming up and all of a sudden some shame or some guilt or fear of rejection, my own inadequacy start coming to the surface, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's not God. That's Satan doing everything he can to keep me from walking into the fullness of the delight of our Heavenly Father. That place where I experience his presence in a very tangible way. I begin to experience not just the presence of God, but the glory of God. Those things that I can't even explain with natural human words. The glory of God. You ever been in that place or that time? Maybe it's in your private prayer closet. Maybe it's been at a service somewhere. Maybe it's been with a small group. But you get out and you go, wow, I can't even explain what I just experienced. I experienced something. We can't even put words to it. Well, that's where God the Father wants us to live. With that kind of sensation of His presence in our lives. But when our lack of faith, and we start listening to that old voice, um, we lose the ability to embrace what he has for us. The veil was torn. In Matthew 27, verse 51, verse 52, when Jesus was on that cross, when he was being crucified for us, and when he said those words, it is finished, the earth shook, the rocks trembled, tombs, it says, were open. But it says the veil was torn in the temple from the top to the bottom. Very symbolic of what God the Father was doing. He was tearing that veil, that barrier, that wall between him and us in half. Opening it wide open. Separating us from his presence. Separating him actually from our presence. When that veil was torn, man was able to enter into the presence of God. His grace moved that barrier. The obedience of Jesus on the cross, his perfect sacrifice. This delight that the Lord has, the Father has, was part of his plan. 
That was part of his plan for sending Jesus to the cross. Now, I, I keep repeating myself, I know, but part of his plan for sending Jesus, his only son, to go through that horrible, horrible, horrible death was so he could delight in our presence. Now think about that for a second. If, if as a father, as a, as a mother, one of our children, we just want to embrace their presence. We just want them to be in our presence. And if all they did while they were in our presence or coming near to us was remind us of all the bad things they did. If they sat there and were so ashamed of the things that they did that disappointed, they could have disappointed us as a parent. If all they did was sit there and feel guilty and condemned and unworthy, how would that you make you and me feel as a father, or as a mother, as a parent? We just want to pull them into our arms and pull them close and just say, I love you. And we're such imperfect parents. But our Heavenly Father is perfect. And he feels, I believe, the intensity of his delight or his, or his disappointment and grief even more than we can imagine. So we want to get to that place. God wants us to get to that place where we, we renew our mind and we understand who we are in Christ. Who we are as a child of God. And it opens up all of this potential for us to experience the fullness of his grace, his peace, his joy, his love, his, his, his very presence. You know, when we get saved, most amazing miracle you can imagine, we get saved. But so often, well, let's go with a picture. Most of us are kind of familiar with the story of Israel. When we're being held, they were being held captive and they've been slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. And God raises up Moses and tells Moses, you're going to be the deliverer. You're going to deliver. I'm going to use you to deliver my people. I'm going to take them out of bondage, out of slavery, and I'm going to set them free to worship me. And we all know most of the story, so I'm not going to go through that whole story, but we know there was all these plagues, all these things took place, and finally, Pharaoh says, just go. And they come to the Red Sea. And Pharaoh's changing his mind. And Israel, God's people, are, are trapped at the Red Sea. There's this threat that they're being taken back into bondage, back into slavery. And God parts the waters of the Red Sea, and they walk across on dry land. What a deliverance. Then the waters come crashing down, and it destroys the enemy. Complete destruction. And it tells us then, I believe it's in Exodus chapter 15, I think it is, where, where they crossed over. They're on the other side of the Red Sea now. They've crossed over. Their victory has been won. Their freedom their bondage has been broken. They've been set free. And it says in chapter, I think, 15, they celebrate. They celebrate. They sing a song of praise to God. And knowing their culture, they were probably dancing and praising and just having a great time, rejoicing in what? Their deliverance from bondage. They have been set free. They were on the other side of the Red Sea. And man, that's great. Amen? Amen. Our, our getting set free of slavery is good. Our getting set free of bondage is good. Our enemy being put under the foot is good. We're walking in freedom. We can walk in freedom. It's good, but you know what? They weren't destined to stay there. That wasn't the final destination. 
God did not want his people to stand on the other side of the Red Sea and just rejoice in what they've got. And I think way too often we as Christians, that's where we stop. We're saved. Praise God we're saved. We rejoice in our salvation, which we should. But there's where we stay. We stay there. We don't discover how much our Heavenly Father really has for us. You know, he didn't, God didn't take Moses and his people on the shortest path to the Canaan land, the promised land. And it's a complicated story, but the reality is, one of the things that I believe is clear in the, in the scriptures is he wanted them to get to a place where they totally relied on him. They discovered how much he loved them and that he would care for them, he would provide for them, he would protect them. So he took them, and he says, follow me. And he took them on this long path. And we know the story. It took them a matter of a few days, and they start murmuring, whining, and complaining. We need some fresh water. We need some food. Oh, I wish we'd have died back in Egypt. It would have been better than this. Instead of discovering how much God loved them, that he wanted to take care of them, he wanted to provide for them, and he wanted them to realize that was his heart as their Heavenly Father. He wanted the people to be totally dependent upon His grace, totally dependent on His love. They had discovered God's deliverance through what He did in Egypt and bringing them through the Red Sea, but they hadn't learned about His love. And I think, sadly, that's where too many Christians park. Because of our upbringing, because of our experiences in life, because of the old mind, the old way of thinking, we're so glad we got saved. But we stopped there. He, he loved us enough to save us, but he saved us so that he could have intimate fellowship with us, relationship with us. I mean, seriously, think about this. He delights my presence. I wish some more people did. He delights in my presence. That is unbelievable. I, the other way around, I delight in His presence. I can get that. He's God. I'm not. But Jesus died so that He could delight in me and in you. It, it sets His heart on fire. Think about that. Meditate on that. That's the mind that we have to have renewed this old thinking, this old man, all those lies the enemy throws at, us, throws at us, we need to get rid of that so that we can understand how much he delights in us. And when we understand and begin to understand that, that's what allows us to really come into his joy and his peace. It really is what allows us to begin to understand how to really serve him. So we're not just serving him out of duty or trying to earn his favor. Boy, way too many Christians, we're working, 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 but really if we can dig to the core reason we're doing it is we just want to get his approval it's not the way it's supposed to work. We can't earn his approval. He just loves you. He just loves you and wants to allow his joy, his peace to overflow in your heart. Until we see the joy that he gets from communing and fellowshipping with us, until we see that 
Every single barrier has been removed. All those lies the enemy throws in your face, they're just lies. He has removed every single barrier. Until you know and understand that everything from your past has been wiped away by the cross, by the blood of Jesus. It's all taken care of. Until we know these things, we can't experience all that he has for us. The benefits of the cross for us are amazing. But we need to remind ourselves more often that one of the primary reasons that he took us out of that bondage and and delivered us was to bring him to himself. I want to use another common parable that you are probably familiar with. If you're not, you can read about it in Luke chapter 15. It's about, we call it the the parable of the prodigal son. Now, it is a parable about forgiveness. There's no doubt about that. Those of you that know the story uh, briefly, those of you that might not be as familiar with it, there was a man who had two sons and he had quite a bit of wealth and his younger son came to him and says, I want my inheritance and I'm going to leave with my inheritance. And he left and he wasted it completely on all kinds of wrong things, partying, wanting women, you name it, he wasted it on all of it until the point it was all gone. And it got so bad he had attached himself to a, to a, a pagan and he was taking care of his swine. Not a good place for a Jewish boy to be. And it says, in the, it says in Luke that he came to his senses. He had a revelation. God got his attention. But he only understood it sort of. He said, you know what? I, my, I'm starving here and I'm feeding the pigs and my father's servants have got it better than me. I'm going to just go back to my father, tell him I'm not worthy to be his son and I would be his servant. I'll be in a better state there than I am here. So that's kind of the backdrop. He's, he's repenting. He's confessing. Whether it's a, you want to call it an unbeliever or you want to look at it as a prodigal who's walked away from the Lord and coming back, doesn't matter. It applies to all of us. So it is a story of forgiveness, but the real story is the father's heart. We could look at the older brother. We can look at this guy's case, the, the prodigal's case, but the father's heart The Father to us is a picture of our loving Heavenly Father. And when you look at the Scriptures in Luke 15, verse 20, it says, He got up, meaning the prodigal son, the one with the pigs, he says, And he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. He felt compassion. He felt love. That word, if you look at it, it almost makes reference to the inner bowels of your body. There's such a thing in you, it just rises up. This compassion. And without any word from his son, he just catches his son, he wraps him in his arms, he throws his arms around him, and he starts hugging him and kissing him on the neck. Notice his son hasn't said a word yet. No repenting, no confessing, no this, no that. Nothing. It's just the Father's love is just all there. Grace, freely given. Immediately, without hesitation. There was nothing that hindered the Father from forgiving him. He was his son. Nothing the boy had to do. Nothing. All of the forgiveness was simply the Father's initiative, the Father's doing. Just like the Heavenly Father towards us. What did he want? Was he satisfied with the son, that his son came back? Was he looking for his son to get down and grovel at his feet and tell him how sorry he was and how stupid he was and what he'd done and how bad I'd been? If you only knew what I've done, Dad. If 
blah, blah. No, none of that. None of that. He wanted his son's presence. He wanted his son to come in the house and we're going to celebrate. We're going to have a party. We're going to make merry. You and me and I'm going to invite a bunch of people. I'm so glad you're back. I just love you. I am so delighted that you're back. Right away in verse 21, right after it says the father runs to him, look what the son starts to do. And this is what we often do when we're wanting to get in the presence of God. In verse 21 it says, And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Do you see the lie? Do you see the deception of the enemy? I'm not good enough. I'm disqualified. You don't know what I've done. If you would have seen me, you you wouldn't possibly embrace me. Notice what the father does when you read the story. He ignores it completely. He ignores his father, the son's objections completely. He doesn't even want to hear it. He doesn't need to hear it. In his mind, it doesn't exist. It's kind of like sins that have been forgiven in God's eyes. They don't exist. They're gone. He just goes right on and he says, go get the fancy robe. Go get the signet ring. Let's get some sandals on his feet. Go kill the best calf we got. We're going to celebrate because that son of mine that left is dead. And there's a new one who's come home. And the son is, I'm sure, still baffled by what's taking place. Because his mind hasn't been completely renewed. He doesn't understand who he is in his father's eyes. And that's how you and I are so often. We don't get it. We keep trying to listen to that lying voice, our old way of thinking, saying, you aren't good enough. Oh boy, if he only knew... Well, he knows, but he doesn't care. It's taken care of. It's washed away, removed as far as east is from the west, never to be used against you anymore. The enemy knows he's lost you into the kingdom of light from his kingdom of darkness. But he wants to make you as miserable living in that kingdom as he possibly can. He doesn't want you to live in peace. He doesn't want you to have the joy of the Lord. He doesn't want you to walk in hope. He doesn't want you to live by faith. So he's going to lie and twist it as much as he possibly can. And when we're going in that direction, man, we can't enter in to the presence of God the way He wants us to. If you only knew what I had done, His old nature starting to talk. And we are so much like that. And His dad just ignores it completely. And there's a prophetic picture here. that The robe, go get the best robe. The robe of righteousness, basically, of Christ. Go get the robe and be clothed in this, this robe that's sonship, an emblem of my sonship. He says, get the ring, a signet ring. It gives an authority, that ring, the family ring. You have authority. He says, here's the robe of righteousness. Here's my authority that you have. Same things we get. His mind is being renewed. He's starting to get this picture in his mind. Put on on the sandals. Let our feet be shod with the gospel of peace. There's all this taking place, and this is what washes all that old thinking out of our head, and we begin to understand, I am a royal son, a royal daughter of the king. He loves me unbelievably. He says all authority that I've given to Jesus, I now give to you. What a signet ring that is. The peace of God, the gospel of peace, all of it's available for us, to us. And he's just saying, come on, come into my presence. And when you read the rest of the story, in the last verse of that chapter, it says, 
they went into the house. And I love the fact that they went into the house, that place of fellowship, that place of intimacy, and they had a celebration. They had a party. They made merry. The delight of the Father. What was the celebration about? Because the Son had, had forgiven, repented and all of that stuff. Yeah, that's part of the story. It was true repentance. But the celebration wasn't about any of that. It was the God, in this case, this father, the earthly father in the parable, just rejoicing that his child had come home. And that's what it is for us. Our Heavenly Father, he delights in our presence. He wants you to come into his presence. He wants you to walk in his peace, his hope, his joy by faith. The same thing that was available in that parable is for us today, true today. We need to receive it by faith, how much he loves you. You know, it is so hard for most of us because as a parent, I'm an imperfect parent. As a dad, I've blown it so many times. My dad's a good man. He's blown it a number of times. And it's so easy for us to remember those times when there's been failures of that Father in our life. And it's so hard for us to separate that from our Heavenly Father. So many of us grew up with insecurities, fears of rejection, having to perform to earn approval, all of that stuff. And somehow or other, we we take that and we put that on our relationship with God. That we have to earn His approval, that we have to, to be something special. And we forget all He wants us to do is come into His presence. It's all by grace, all by his initiative. In Matthew 3, verse 16, <clears throat> I'm going to close with this scriptures. The picture, the, the context of this scripture is Jesus is getting ready to start his ministry. And John the Baptist is out baptizing people in the wilderness. And Jesus comes to him to be baptized. And it says this in verse 16. The moment Jesus came out of the water, the skies opened. And he saw God's Spirit, it looked like a dove, descending and landing on him. And along with the Spirit, a voice, This is my Son, chosen and marked by my love, the delight of my life. I'm reading that from the message. You can read it in any translation you like. The message is the same. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. My delight is in him. It's by his love. Guess what? He says that same thing about every single one of us. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter. They have been chosen by me. I love them. I'm proud of them. My delight is in them. And that's the message I want you to just meditate on and take home from here today. He truly loves you unconditionally. And for us to get into his presence is not some difficult task that we've got to figure out how many hoops we have to jump through. He's waiting for us to just come and focus on Him. Seek Him. Listen. Get quiet before Him. Be in the Word. Be in prayer. But just sometimes rest in His presence. Let's close in prayer. 
Lord, I pray that by your Spirit you will do that work in each one of our minds where we need to renew our thinking, where the Word of God, the truth of the Word of God, of who we are in Jesus, your Son, as your children, as your sons and daughters, who we are, who we really are, and how much you love us. I pray, God, that you would let that wash through our mind, getting rid of all that old way of thinking, all that old junk. Father, that we would walk as royal children of the King of Kings clothed in the robe of righteousness, given the authority of Jesus in his name. Father, I pray that that becomes more and more of a reality than each one of our ways of thinking. And if we discover who we are, we might begin to discover just more about who you really are. I pray that you would get more delight from your, the presence of each one of us as we come to you. Amen.